It is 12.30, the strike of 12.30. We have a lot of ground to cover in a very short amount of time. So we're going to get started on time, and we're going to finish on time. All right? And if we don't finish on time, the next crew in here will uh, beat us up, and they probably can. Um, it, yes? Somebody say my name? Okay. Um, we're here to talk about identifying and developing deacons and elders. Um, if you were uh, thinking we were going somewhere else, now's the time to get off before we close the doors. Um, to my left is Han Cho and Harry Walls. I'm going to introduce them or let them introduce themselves in a minute. Because we have so much uh, ground to cover, um, I want to set some ground rules. And I want to help you because we have no idea where this session is going, but you do. And um, uh, that being the case, what we want to do is allow you to ask the questions. And I want to help you, if I could, ask a good question. Okay? So first of all, the first rule of asking a good question is please don't tell stories. Um, and, and I don't mean that to offend anybody. And by the way, some of what I'm about to say, if I said to you individually while you were struggling to ask a question, I would offend you. I'm telling you all of this now so that when we try and move you along, don't get offended. We're just trying to move things along. So if you could avoid the stories, boil it down to a question and think about whether the question you want to ask would be helpful to other people in the room. Okay. If it's too specific, you can come talk to us afterwards. We would love to hear your story, by the way, um, and, and deal with a specific situation if that would help you. So if, if you could boil the question down, if it's taking longer than about a minute to ask your question, I might say, we'll come back to you. Okay. And again, please don't be offended when I do that, and I will come back to you. Um, and so we're going to give you a few minutes here to collect your thoughts, maybe write your question down. Um, and um, I'm going to be repeating all the questions. This is being recorded. I don't know if it's being broadcast, but it's definitely being um, recorded. So I'm going to um, restate your question, and if I completely miss the point of your question, I apologize in advance. It's not intentional. Okay? The topic today is critically important um, to the church. If you get leadership wrong, um, you either are now or you will be in the very near future, feeling the consequences of that. And some of you know that from experience. Um, the Bible is very clear about the qualifications of leadership and the function of leadership. The qualifications for leadership are preceded by a very important word that says must. Okay, so that part is very, very clear. Where there's a lot of unanswered questions is how do you get a man um, transitioned from a faithful man in the church into a position of leadership, whether it's a deacon, it's an elder, it's a Bible study leader, and that's what we want to address today if you want us to. Um, again, you're in control of where this goes. Um, all right. <clears throat> These two men may describe how we do things at Grace Church, and I'm going to say in advance to you that you're getting the benefit of the wisdom of ministry here at Grace Church. We do not elevate that to biblical authority. Okay, if it doesn't say it in the Bible, it's not biblical. That doesn't mean that everything we do at Grace Church <clears throat> um, is unbiblical, although I like to say that just to wake people up sometimes. <clears throat> but a chairman of the elder board is not a, an office that's in the Bible. That's unbiblical. Okay? So that's what I mean. So please, if, if you hear, and Harry's got um, 30 years or so experience outside of Grace Church, yeah. Um, um, in another church. And so you're going to get some varied um, uh, experience, the benefit of some varied experience here. 
Okay? So I'm going to give uh, um, a few minutes here for Harry and Han to introduce themselves to give you some context for um, their background when they're answering questions. Harry. I uh, had the privilege of serving as a senior pastor in Birmingham, Alabama for 27 years. Uh, I was here at Grace Church when the Master's College was, uh, when John became the president of the college, it became the Master's College. I served with him there as the Dean of Men, went to Birmingham, served in a local church for 27 years, served on the board of the college and seminary for 15, and then had the privilege of being invited back three years ago to serve as the campus pastor of the Master's University, where I support uh, faculty and staff and students in the pursuit of our vision to uh, develop Christ-likeness in our students. I uh, teach a fellowship group in this very room on Sunday morning as an elder of Grace Church, and Hannah's another elder in that group. So that's generally my background. I'm a graduate of Liberty University and Liberty Seminary. <clears throat> okay. My name is Han Cho, and uh, married with two beautiful young daughters. Uh, really, um, I've been here at Grace Church pretty much my entire Christian life. Uh, which began uh, after a radical conversion. Uh, I was an entertainment lawyer at the time in late 2004. And uh, yeah, I've just been here ever since, uh, really been uh, rejoicing in the time here. And uh, it's just been tremendous. Uh, I've been active in ministry primarily for much of my ministry to um, uh, college and career age people among them and to them. And uh, recently transitioned over to the Cornerstone Young Marriage Group with Harry. And uh, I've been an elder for a few years now, and I'm a layperson. I'm a lay elder, which uh, means that I actually have a full-time job outside of church, which is a joy for me as well. I'm a mergers and acquisitions attorney, a transactional attorney that does a lot of uh, deal work, uh, and I work for a biotech company. That should answer your questions about whether lawyers can be saved <laughs> and whether they can be elders. Um, and... Uh, my name is Chris Hamilton. I serve as an elder here at Grace. I've served here for about 15 years. I started attending Grace Church in 1969. There was a, a new young pastor here named John MacArthur, and I was in first grade. Um, in the middle, in the 90s, um, my wife and I and our three daughters attended a church out in Simi Valley, and I served as an elder in that church for nine years. So I've had experience uh, as an elder in a small, um, just a great church out in Simi Valley, and then uh, came back to Grace Yes, came back to grace, got saved and came back to grace in 2000. Um, all right. Okay, with that, I'm going to ask the first question, and after uh, Han gets done with that first question, then it's your meeting, okay? And if you can just uh, wave your hand or let me know when the time comes, um, just stand up and clearly ask your question. I'll repeat it for the recording, and, then, and if you want to direct it to one of the men, please, please do that. Han, you recently, you got saved in 2004, you said. Yes. Yeah and recently went through the elder process here at Grace Church. I wondered if you could kick us off by describing in uh, two or three minutes what that process looked like. Yeah, you know, I, uh, God was so gracious when he saved me. He ignited within me just a real love for the church and a love of service. And this was, and I had hated the church prior to my salvation, so that was a radical turnaround. That was all the Holy Spirit. And uh, my desire was just to serve in whatever capacity I could, whether it's stacking chairs or anything. And over the course of time, uh, just the people, the men that I respected over me, uh, just gave me additional responsibilities and opportunities, which uh, even though I might have not have felt ready at the time, I trusted their judgment in that situation and just kept on 
continuing to serve however I could, and that was really my desire. Um, over the course of time, uh, eventually had a conversation actually with Chris, uh, who was the chairman of Elder Board at the time, and we were talking about the nature of eldership, and uh, I did express an interest uh, to him in that, and uh, you know, really it was a process where it uh, really uh, took a number of years, I would say, um, just in terms of uh, having men in my life like Chris and other men who would observe my life and uh, just we would have, uh, you know, every Friday morning we would have discussions uh, with Chris uh, at a group that we were in and uh, it was a real blessing. And uh, eventually there came a point where um, I was uh, forwarded uh, kind of the elder training packet, which is a really great packet of materials that's very helpful in terms of areas of doctrine, areas of counseling, uh, general Bible and uh, yeah, started studying that packet and uh, read it. There's a required list of books to read and uh, read those books over the course of time. And uh, eventually then further, uh, I was told, okay, well, it, it, I think that uh, after some discussions apparently had been had at the elder level, uh, then uh, Chris told me it was uh, actually Austin Duncan, my pastor at the time in the Crossroads group, told me it was time to convene my ordination panel. And uh, I did that and uh, really was tested in areas, uh, general Bible, theology and counseling for three hours. And uh, that was quite the three-hour process as uh, some dear friends of mine and, uh, and, and godly men would uh, bombard me with a number of questions. Uh, somehow, I managed to get through that. And uh, then shortly thereafter, I think at the next elder meeting, I was uh, uh, brought onto the elder board. Okay, good. All right. <clears throat> and if you have questions about that process, that'll get that going. Questions? Yes, sir. Uh, is it possible to get a copy of those materials? They're secret. <laughs> so if you have the encryption code, no. Um, you know, we don't distribute that. If you can get me your email address, I can send it to you. We don't mass distribute it because it really requires some introduction. In other words, what we do um, is not necessarily what we would recommend every church do. Amen. And so some people take that packet and they want to implement it in their church. And that's just yanking the wheel way too hard, and everybody goes rolling off the back of the truck. So with that introduction, if you get me your contact information, we can talk about it, and we'll, we'll get you a copy. So, uh, over here. Yeah, good. So um, the question is, as you observe a, a man going through the elder process, you know, you know what the book says, but what practically are you looking for to see uh, if they're qualified? I would, I would say, first of all, you make sure that what the book says you're actually assessing. Uh, the single biggest, I think, uh, downfall is in our anxiousness to find somebody to help provide leadership with us in ministry, that we can shortcut the very foundation of the qualifications for someone to serve in that way by not examining carefully. I teach a seminary class in this room each semester, and what, what I'd like to say to my young man is what I would say to you. It's far better to be careful with understanding and affirming this person has been appointed by God, Acts 20, 28. The Holy Spirit appoints 
not churches. We affirm the Holy Spirit appoints. Those qualifications need to be examined and understood and assessed. So the very first thing that I would encourage you to do is make sure that you're sure that this person has the character, the qualifications, that it's demonstrable, undeniable. Um, it's, I'm, Chris said it, must be above reproach. It's not optional. And so that assessment is cardinal, critical. Um, the other thing that I would look for is the calling of that man. Um, aspires and desires is the way 1 Timothy 3 starts out. Aspire means you're reaching for something. You, you have a longing. You have a, a true heartfelt desire to serve as a shepherd in God's flock, an overseer. That desire is revealed as a part of God's calling in your life. It is God who works in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So I'm looking at passion for it as well as the character as the foundation for it. And when I see a man with undeniable character, with a passion for it, then that begins the process of looking at issues like capacity, capability, competency. They have to be apt to teach if we're talking elders. If we're talking deacons, we're talking about a measure of leadership. Um, so the, but the character leads it. The calling and the passion goes with it. And then the capacities demonstrated in the life. And everybody, like Han was saying, there's a process of development. Uh, so those ingredients may be there, but there's developmental pursuit and process that enables you to not only identify a man, but develop a man so that the community of faith validates that man, affirms what God has already defined. Did, did I answer the question? Yeah. I would just say 1 Timothy 4, 16 says, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching, persevere in all these things, uh, etc. And, you know, that and the notion of not laying hands on an elder too quickly are both kind of key verses and concepts that, uh, you know, I think would apply to your question in terms of observing a man's life, doctrine, character. Yeah, and, and Han wasn't checking his text messages. He was getting on his Bible. He's one of these young guys that... Uh, his Bible... I, I am the young one up here. So, uh... <laughs> okay, right? <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Hey, I got the lawyer yeah. jab. Come on, after the lawyer jab. He has kids. I have grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> Stand up so we can... Yeah. Okay, so um, a lone elder. How many of you are the lone elder in your church? Okay, yeah. Um, so how do you get that accountability, that companionship even in ministry um, in a situation like that? Well, we uh, deal with, uh, I'm actually involved in the Grace Advance Committee. And, uh, you know, just um, uh, we, we deal with church planting, church revitalizing. There's a network of churches, uh, I think 26 or 27 at last count, that we're associated with. And we try to serve as a resource uh, to some of these churches that were, again, newly planted or needing great revitalization. And, uh, you know, to that point, um, you know, some of these guys are all alone so far. They don't have um, other elders yet with them, even though they're certainly 
looking and developing and striving to do that. Uh, I do think it's nevertheless very important if you are the sole elder, it's all the more important, I think, to have godly men involved in your life. And uh, hopefully over the course of time, you know, whether they are in your church or outside of your church, depending on the context, uh, I think having those men uh, that you can go to, uh, we're, we're exhorted in the Proverbs to seek counsel. And that is such an important factor, especially, uh, you know, again, there's this tendency, if you're the sole elder, that uh, you, you can call all the shots on some level. And we need to resist that tendency because I think it tends to, uh, you know, our, our sinful flesh can sometimes then have a situation where you might be in danger of lording it over the flock, which we're told not to do in Scripture. And, you know, for those reasons, having that level of, uh, you know, some of these godly men in your life that you've, uh, you know, that God has... Uh, um, brought you together with providentially over the course of time. Other pastors might be helpful. Again, certainly godly men in your church, your own church that you're developing, there can be some level of that. I do think you have to exercise caution and wisdom in those situations because uh, you know, certain, there are certain things that maybe you wouldn't be able to uh, easily share with someone immediately in your congregation. Uh, but uh, at the same time, again, the, that's the course of wisdom. So that's how I would begin to answer that question. And, and I, would, I would just echo, fundamentally, a pastor is a Christian. Um, and all of the qualifications you see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are meant to be models for Christianity. So, you know, the fellowship of a brother as a pastor with another brother who may not be a pastor uh, can still provide great fellowship, accountability, um, I've learned a lot from laymen, people that maybe weren't called to be elders, but in a very significant way have, have imparted and impacted truth in my life. And so I would first of all encourage that just because they don't do what you do or share the same responsibilities or ministry activities, the real heart of what you need is what a Christian brother can provide. Amen. And so... And then, you know, I would suggest, because I, I certainly sought this in the city I was in and do now in my role at Masters, because I'm connected with so many pastors, is you should be proactive in seeking out brotherly fellowship with men of like faith and like heartbeat. It's good for the church to see you connected with other churches. It's good for you to be connected with other churches for your own development, because other guys do things different than you do them, and you can benefit from that. So I, I think proactive pursuit suit uh, of other brothers who do what you do and, and uh, would be critical to kind of cultivating that camaraderie, community, accountability. I think what Han said, obviously, you have to exercise uh, discretion. There's some things that you have to be careful about sharing, and you may uh, call a pastor somewhere else who you have high trust in to share certain kinds of things with. But pastors need a sounding board. Uh, they need somebody, sometimes that aren't caught up in that scenario, to give objective advice and uh, seasoned counsel to, to, to guide and encourage. And I'm hopeful, and I hope you feel this as you come to Shepherd's Conference. This is a community where you can experience that. Amen. I mean, part of the reason Grace Church does this is to cultivate fellowship among pastors, including this pastoral team. So uh, I hope you feel that camaraderie and connection and liberty to reach out if you need support. Okay, right here. Uh, yes, uh, two questions. Only one. We'll come back to you for the second one. <laughs>
does the senior pastor, the lay elder relate together? Okay, so in a plurality of elders, how does the senior pastor and lay elders relate together? First, I'm going to give a plug. Tomorrow at noon, we're going to yep. do that Q&A. We're going to deal with that for an hour, but we're not going to leave you hanging. You, should, you should answer that. Yeah? Yeah, because you, you have quite a good perspective on that. Okay. Um, yeah, and we'll go through this in, in great detail tomorrow, but the, the foundation for understanding that is that the Bible makes no distinction between a, a pastor and an elder or a, a pastor and a lay elder. So the, the, the quality, qualifications of the three of us is exactly the same. The function of the three of us in the context of the church is exactly the same. Um, there is unity in that qualification, there's unity in that function, and there's unity in the doctrine of holding fast the faithful word so that you can um, um, exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. There, that is um, the foundation of unity of an elder board. And um, I, what there, where there is not um, unanimity in, if you will, or consistency in is influence um, or... Uh, the other one just escaped my mind, but influence is really important. And what divides an elder board often is guys trying to angle for more influence or to prevent a guy from having as much influence as he has. Um, that's what divides an elder board. And so normally the job of the lay elders is to decrease while the senior preaching pastor increases. You want that man to have maximum influence in that church. You want to do what you can <clears throat> to push things out of the way so that he can do that. Um, that enables him to do what he's called to do, um, and that's that's kind of a quick summary. And my compliment to that, because I was a staff pastor, senior pastor for a long time, is my role, my view, is to help lay leadership, lay elders, employed by somebody else, but qualified, called, and responsible for the same things I'm responsible for. My desire was to elevate his influence. It was good for my church if they knew they had more than a senior pastor, pastor, teacher, pulpit person, but they had elders that God had gifted to that church and that we were equally ranked. The table was round. It was plurality of leadership, certainly had more influence. I was the teaching pastor, but it was incumbent upon me to help enlarge their influence and credibility so that they enjoyed maximized ministry. It only helps me if he's maximized in his potential. And that's really up to me to help cultivate that because people naturally are going to grant that to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, and if you think through that, by the way, the unity and function is very important. It wipes away the elder board that said, where the lay guys say, we just got a call from the hospital, and they all look at the paid guy and go, that's what we pay you to do. You laugh. Some of you laugh from pain, from memory. <laughs> that is not a well-functioning elder board. There is unity in qualification. There's unity in function. And the lay guys need to be jumping on those phone calls as quick and sometimes even quicker to free up the teaching pastor if, they need, if he needs to be freed up. And what you're hearing is the harmony of unity. I mean, Chris and Harry are basically saying the same thing from a different point of view. And that's so important for any elder board is this. You, you see unity all throughout the scriptures. And yet there is often this very American concept of a lot of times I see and deal with uh, situations where uh, uh, the elder board might consider themselves to be a check and balance on the pastor. That, that might be an American concept, but that is not a scriptural concept. 
and ultimately the best elder board is one that is rowing together. And, uh, you know, I think that that's so important to keep in mind is that uh, really the desire would be that you're all on the same team and you're all moving forward and you're not acting as a check and balance on one another, unless, of course, there is a, perhaps a matter of grave moral disqualification or something like that. Yeah, it's not a democracy. And we'll get into that in great detail tomorrow. Yes, sir. How do you uh, develop and train men for ministry while managing their expectations? Uh, you say that, you know, hey, even if I do some training and development with you, that that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be an elder or a deacon. That's a great question. The question is, how do you shepherd a man or a group of men towards leadership when you know that the chances are one or all of them may or may not become um, an elder? So how do you manage expectations? You know, for me, it's making it very clear what the calling is, what the responsibility is, uh, the maturity required of it. So starting with the standard and the expectation that over time, an evaluation will occur so that there is an assessment going on. It's not a popularity contest. It's not how smart I am. And ultimately, it's a, it's a leadership team. At least elders appoint elders, right? Churches affirm elders. Um, that that affirmation would be the response of a multitude bearing witness to the calling, capacity, and character of that individual. It should surprise nobody when an elder becomes an elder should be obvious to everybody. And I, with the gentlemen or the men that I've worked with, is prepare them for the fact that this has to be affirmed. And you're developing, and if God's pointed you, God's people will validate that in you. So setting them up with the right expectation and casting that vision for them in a process. Yeah, and I would also add just, I think, being very plain about it. You know, just look, you know, we see something in you and you know, we want to try to develop that. But this does not mean you are going to be destined for any particular office or position. And I think one reason the scriptures call church leaders to be uh, exemplary in speech and not to be double tongued is there can be this tendency of wanting to be, uh, you know, just uh, the nice guy or wanting to, you know, be uh, really only be encouraging and build a person up to the point where they may get a, a false expectation, as you're, as you're indicating. And so just being very plain about that and the process and what this means and what it doesn't mean, I think is very appropriate. Well, one thing that's helped me language-wise, because that's a great question, um, is to, to talk in terms of if this is what God wants, it should be life-giving to you and life-impacting to them. In other words, doing this, if empowered by the Spirit of God, called by the Spirit of God, should be life-giving to you. You do this whether anybody paid you, ever, whether anybody ever gave you a title. Amen. This is Amen. who you are. It's life-giving to you. But sometimes people can find things life-giving that aren't life-impacting to anybody else. Love to preach, but nobody wants me to preach. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you understand what I mean? So it's life-giving to you but it's also life impacting to them. The impact of your ministry is validated by the way God's people respond to it. And if it's life giving to you and life impacting to them, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. So I think that's a way to say it that's helped. Yeah, and Harry said it well, a man who becomes an elder shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I'll say the flip side of that, a good shepherding process should lead that man to come to his own conclusion that I'm yeah. not an elder. Yeah, that's true. And that's where you want to be. If you have to tell someone they're not an elder, they're vindicating the decision 
um, right there. Because any one of us should be um, willing and ready at any point to say, I'm not affirmed, I'm going to step back from this expectation. Okay? Yes, in the back. Okay, yeah. so the let me repeat the question. Are are all lay elders on the board you asked? Okay, and is it for life? Is that a good condensation? Yeah, uh, all of the lay elders are on our elder board here at, at uh, our church. Um, I don't see in Scripture any distinctions between different types of elders. Uh, there is a mention about elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's a different class of elders. Hopefully that would be all of the elders on some level. Um, but uh, ultimately, in terms of your question, yeah, a person, uh, again, here at our church, I don't see a term of years in the Bible, uh, but uh, so ultimately, if, if a man desires to continue serving and is not disqualified, they may continue to serve here. Uh, however, certainly there are times, and there have been times even on our, our, our elder board, where an elder might uh, step back for a season, uh, you know, for various reasons, um, and I think uh, that does happen. And uh, depending on the situation, that elder may or may not come back in the future. Does that answer your question? How do you refer to it? Is he still considered an elder when he's, you're no longer an elder at that time? Just term, terminology. Yeah, I mean, we don't okay, try let me re let me re okay. I'm sorry. I, I want to repeat the question. So if somebody steps off for a time, are they still called an elder? Yeah, I mean, we try not to get too hung up on titles, uh, but, you know, the answer would be no if they, they either are serving as an elder or they're not serving as an elder, so... Yeah, and the, I think in Scripture, it's pretty clear that eldership is not for life. It's also clear that it is for life. And when I say it's not for life, is because the Bible says to pay close attention to your life and your doctrine. And when you cross the line doctrinally or in your life where you're no longer qualified, you are not an elder. Yeah. And we all need to hang on to this office uh, with that in mind. I, I do think churches can recognize that sometimes life circumstances prevent a biblically qualified man from fully functioning. And so typically the elder board will define what is allowed and not allowed and to continue to enjoy both that responsibility and that opportunity. Because you may have a man who for reasons in his home or health or whatever or business, you still want that man's partnership and leadership because he has something to give even if he can't give the whole uh, amount. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that too. So it'll have to be nuanced based on the circumstance, I think. But you could, I could envision you having an elder who can't do all elders should do by agreement, having less responsibility to, to navigate a season, but he can still provide benefit to the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right over here. Okay. The question is, are there videos or other training materials that Grace Church offers um, in the shepherding process? Across the hall. They're talking about that yeah. right now, I think. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. everybody run across the hall right now, but <laughs> maybe you can get a recording of that session. Um, that's that, the Institute of Church Leadership. Yes. That's yeah. yeah. And that's being uh, developed by um, the, uh, the seminary. In fact, I think all three of us have done yeah. uh, film segments for that. 
it's right now a 12-part training. But I, I have to tell you, don't get me in trouble for this. Nobody listen to this recording. You don't need ICL to shepherd people onto your elder board. You need your Bible. Amen. First, First Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20. Those passages should be on your lips, in your mind, on the inside of your eyelids. Those are the key passages that deal with what, what is spiritual leadership, what does it look like, how does it function. Okay? That's a tool. Um, what we're talking about across the hall is a tool, and I'm not saying it's not valuable, but it is um, just a tool. Yes, sir. Okay, the question is, is there a reevaluation of elders on a periodic basis? You would know that better yeah, than I. I mean, I would say that it's constant on some level, although it's not formal, if that helps answer that question. We don't, there isn't a situation where uh, I ha anyone has an annual sit-down necessarily about, okay, you know, we're going to you know, grade you or evaluate you on this. But over the course of time, if, if some things are, are um, you know, cropping up in your life or uh, things like that. And oftentimes it'll be the elder themselves that'll maybe uh, broach a subject or open it up uh, to uh, the people that are really invested in that elder's life. And, uh, you know, I think that that uh, constantly happens. Again, we're, we're to keep watch over our life and our doctrine. And so I believe that does happen, uh, just not necessarily on a formal evaluation uh, type of basis. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily, uh, but uh, in terms of here, that's how we do it. I love that question. Because the principle behind your question is, when you become an elder, you have not crossed the finish line. No way. Right? <laughs> We're all a work in process. We haven't arrived. We're on a certain trajectory that Scripture says is appropriate for an elder. Um, so there is not a formal review process, but there is an informal review yeah. process all the time. Yeah. I've been in ministry with Austin Duncan very closely. Believe me, I got reviewed every week. Um, he was on me. And I loved it. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the interaction of godly men um, who aren't afraid to point out that was a stinker of a sermon or um, your counsel in that situation was not what it could have been. Um, let's talk about it. That's just, that's body life. And that should be happening with the elders. Yes, in the back. Well, let me say while you're standing up, you, you guys are in charge of leading this discussion. You are doing a phenomenal job. Love these questions. Okay. My question to you is, since elder and pastor are scripturally synonymous yeah. in terms of title and qualification, should all of the pastors of the church be on the elder board? Mm. Ooh, controversial. You guys be really mm. careful with this one. <laughs> the question is, since pastors are elders and elders are pastors, I'll say it a little bit different. Shouldn't all the paid pastors be elders? Good luck, guys. <laughs> Well, I'll say as a lawyer, uh, just, uh, you know, what's very important is a definition of terms, right? And there can be formal and informal uh, usage of terms. Uh, you know, a lot of times we might have a high school pastor, a junior high school pastor, or someone that we're going to call pastor, you know, on an informal basis, but we're not necessarily meaning to say that this person who's often still in seminary is going to be a pastor elder of the type that we're meeting on a formal level. So, uh, you know, again, it might be, as Harry was saying, there might be an honorific that we, uh, you know, accord to someone that uh, is in process or going through the seminary or, you know, having an office that has certainly helped and benefit and impact on the body, and yet they are not yet a, 
formally ordained elder that sits on our elder board. So that's, that's kind of one way to explain the distinction uh, in a definitional type of way. Um, but uh, again, I think, uh, as Chris said from the beginning, uh, there are different ways of doing things. There's, uh, certainly we have perfect guidance from the Bible in certain areas, uh, but there are other areas in terms of uh, ecclesiology that uh, you know, are, are not, not necessarily going to be unbiblical, but it might be ah biblical and uh, so that in that sense it may not have a specific reference and yet that's the distinction that I'm going to make in terms of use of terms. Yeah and maybe just to piggyback on that one of the things I find helpful is if I'm going to call a man a pastor and my people are going to understand that that's synonymous with elder then a pastor needs to be seen as an elder needs to function as an elder. Um, if I can do that. And, and if they're not elder qualified, then I'm going to call them minister. You know, it's my high school minister, or my music minister, whatever. They're, that way it helps differentiate the status, uh, if possible. And I'm really talking, if you can orchestrate it, structure it that way, I think it'll help your people understand. Because otherwise, if you make that distinction, it'll be hard for them to navigate the difference. Because uh, you really said it very well. The terms matter, and they won't understand the nuance of the terms. Yeah, and since this session is about training, I would think it's incumbent, just to add on to what they said, that if you have a pastor, someone on pastoral staff who's not an elder, you need that's a great opportunity to teach and train them and explain to them why they're not an elder from Scripture, not politics, not the bylaws, from Scripture, um, and shepherd them in that direction. And... Um, and what you want to do is train, I'm assuming it's a young man who's on pastoral staff, no? Um, wrong assumption. Um, but here at Grace Church, it's usually a young man who's still in seminary, and the idea is to lay before him eldership, that he is to be functioning, that no one should be surprised when we bring him on the elder board, okay? And that's just fundamental to the training process. Yes, sir? Okay, the question is, do we have lay elders preached? You're looking at three lay elders here. Yeah. Yes. I have. Yeah. Uh, he's preached from the pulpit. Are you talking about from the pulpit? Yeah. Oh. Yes, we do have lay elders that preach from the pulpit. Some of us would rather die. <laughs> um, and, uh, and would never be asked anyway. Right. <laughs> Fair? Yeah. 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 Um, Acts 20 talks about elders uh, preaching and teaching publicly and house to house. And I think the idea is that you do not have to have a bunch of preachers who can hold the attention of 2,500 people for an hour. Um, um, that's just a different role of elders, but all of your elders should be yeah. preaching and teaching. And that's the point is that, uh, you know, your, to answer your question, yes, lay elders here do preach, but I also want to highlight that being apt to teach in 1 Timothy 3 does not mean uh, apt to preach. Uh, certainly, I think it's a great thing, can be helpful, but uh, there are elders who uh, don't preach very often, if at all, but they do a ton of teaching. And I think that distinction is important to make. And certainly in our church, like Han taught last, what, two weeks ago yeah. for me, in this room, and it's full of people. So you might not call that preaching, but they would. Um, so I think... All of our elders, most of them that I know of, are involved in proclaim, proclaiming God's truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just to give you some perspective, that's on a scale. Some of the guys are teaching two, three times a week. That's a pretty typical week for me and Han and some of the other guys. So that's on top of everything else. That You know what preparation means. 
okay? And so there's a limit, and that goes back to the difference between lay and pastoral. Lay guys, we've got, I've got 40 to 60 hours a week committed to other people. And, and so there's going to be a limit. But every, there is no such thing, in my view, as an, un, as an elder who doesn't teach. The Bible says you're qualified to teach, and it says that's the function of an elder. Okay? Absolutely. In the back, against the window. Great question. Okay, how do you shepherd and train men who want to lead? They don't want the title or the function of an elder. Um, great question. Josh, does that include deacon-type roles, ministry leadership? Because Sure. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking at them as diakonos. I'm looking at them as ministry leaders. I'm looking at them as delegated stewards of some element of responsibility in my church to release the elders to focus on the word of God and prayer and the shepherding aspects of the church. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw their attention to that high calling because that person has high standing and great confidence before God. And, and I'm nurturing that vision for them, male and female. Yep. Develop their leadership as it relates. I would certainly meet with them monthly. Uh, it would depend, and I'm just giving you kind of a, a perspective, but it would also depend on what they're doing. You know, certain categories of ministry require more frequent engagement than monthly. Okay, but I would have my diakonas come together monthly to talk about ministry. What, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Why are we doing it? So that they can enjoy the camaraderie of the leadership team. Some instruction can be given from talented allies, and we can build their maturity and their capacity over time. But certain ministry teams may require more than monthly. Yeah, and to your, if, it's, and if it's below the level of deacon even, uh, you know, it's really a case-by-case -case basis. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I think it's going to depend on the nature of the ministry. I think it's going to depend, on the, frankly, on the hunger of the people involved and the capacity of the, of the people that might be available to teach those types of or lead those types of meetings. But uh, it really is going to depend, I think, on, on a large... And you know, basis. some people are leaders. They're going to do it whether you help them do it or not, right? And then you have others, you've got to help them do it. They're leaders potentially, but not in reality. So that would factor too. Yeah, have you noticed the 900 people walking around here volunteering this week? Isn't that phenomenal? There were no classes on how to serve, no classes on how to do that. We turned people away. And, and I say that not to elevate Grace Church, but just to tell you, your church would do the same thing. If you tried to pull off something, your church would respond because that's what normal Christianity is. It's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, spiritual gifts. People are looking for an outlet to use their giftedness for the benefit of the church. And Ephesians 4 talks about how you take all these disparate, gifted people, and it all comes together. And so I think there's the example of the spiritual leadership in the church. They need to be servants, um, and people will imitate their leadership. It's called discipleship. 
Um, and I think training and teaching through the years of what um, biblical Christianity looks like, it'll just, it'll just flow. And I'm not saying you shouldn't specifically train, but I think it's a longer-term prospect than holding a six-week class, something like that. Yeah. Okay? In the back, against the window. Mm. Okay, the question is uh, ordination. The answer is yes. We, do, we ordain all of our elders. There is no difference um, in that for a pastor and an elder, but the process might look a little bit different. Um, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, uh, boy, I'm, trying, I'm not as familiar with the pastoral ordination process. I know we actually, there's a class, an ordination class that they offer at the seminary. Uh, I know in, in the past there had been an additional section on church history, although I don't think that's the case yeah. anymore. So Yeah, the, the pastoral elders have an additional qualification that's not in the Bible, and that is that they need to be graduates of the seminary or a seminary. Okay, And so the expectation of their performance in an ordination is a little different than a lay guy. And I've sat on panels of lay guys. I've sat on panels of pastoral elders. It's a different ballgame for a pastoral elder. And we're testing three areas, theology, um, um, theology proper, Bible knowledge, and practical. And the Bible knowledge part is very, very, very rigorous for a pastoral elder, and it's a little easier on accountants like me, <laughs> thankfully. Because uh, when they handed me that packet, I said, this is, I handed it back and I said, this is really nice. I might know this by the time I die, um, but I have a day job. Um, but they assured me, yeah, you don't have to go to the same depth. So there is a little bit of difference, but it is an ordination process, and the elders vote to ordain First uh, uh, Timothy 4, laying on of the hands of the presbytery. We take that seriously. Elders appoint elders, as, as Harry said, and there's a formal process uh, of actually doing that. In the back with the purple shirt. Any great question. Any doctrinal um, areas that we allow disagreement at the gates of coming on the elder board? Yeah, uh, here at Grace Community Church, uh, we do have everyone. We we have a uh, what we teach document. It's on our website, and because all elders are teachers, uh, we are expecting that everyone is on the same page with respect to that what we teach document. If it's not on that document, uh, there may be some areas of. Uh, you know, difference potentially, but in terms of those fundamental areas, and it's quite lengthy, are what we teach document. We do expect doctrinal agreement. Yeah, and I'm not aware of any significant areas um, that we would allow a difference. Mr. Heitman. Okay, great question. So it's a small it's church. A You're, you, it's a great question. Yeah. You're really desperate to bring some good qualified men on your elder board, and their eschatology isn't what yours is. Right? Is that fair? Okay. And, and my answer to that is I would take more time, study with that person. Um, I wouldn't do that. Um, did that personally. Um, seminary graduate I hired to be... A, my uh, college and family pastor, and uh, that he wasn't clear on that issue when I hired him. 
I told him what I believed and made sure he was clear and that he wouldn't contradict. But in the end, that wasn't a fruitful marriage because inevitably I taught Mark 13 and he saw that differently than I taught that. Well, that leaks out and uh, it's not meant to be hurtful. It's just not helpful. So I would be, Harry Walls' perspective would be, I'd be really cautious. And, and I think our document, you know, what we teach is a great foundation to say, if you're going to be different on other areas, you can probably endure that potentially, but not in these. Um, and that might be a good grid for you to start from. But I wouldn't compromise eschatology, those things you could say, because uh, a lot of people are loose in that. I don't think you can afford to be in your, your leadership team. And I would generally speaking agree with Harry. I think that is the course of wisdom. The only times I've ever heard a situation like that working out, and it's I think on one or two occasions, uh, is when that person is so amicable, so deferential to the church's position that nobody even knows that person has a different position. And, but again, that would be an extremely rare circumstance. It would qu require an extremely humble and godly person and someone that's willing to support, uh, you know, the church's position on all of those matters. But again, I, I, I generally speaking would agree entirely with Harry in terms of the course of wisdom. Yeah, I think of a young man who wanted to be in a position, uh, not elder or deacon, just wanted to be involved in ministry involving teaching, and he didn't buy into the seven-day creation. We put the brakes on everything, and what's that? Yeah, we put the brakes on everything, assigned a few books, and guess what? I had to read the books alongside of them. Um, and, and it was very good for me to nail down for me. I never questioned the seven-day creation, but I went through these books with this young man, and today he's a teacher and a preacher, and he's nailed down seven-day creation. That's what the training process is about. It's not to shut the door. It's to develop and train men into spiritual leadership if God's called them to it. Yes? Great question, and the, the, the question is, um, um, a church with a senior pastor as the elder, he's everything. Is that a church? Is that a complete church? The answer is yes. And we, we get that from Titus 1. I, I would go to Titus 1, 5 and say, um, well, I know what it says, but I'm losing the exact wording. I, I'm sending you um, to the churches to appoint... Um, let me just get this. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then it goes into the qualifications. The church is complete with a pastor elder. And what he was, what Titus was being, um, or what he was being assigned to do was to go in and appoint elders. So I think it's a complete church. I think the goal is multiple elders, um, but I don't think anybody could look at that church and say it's incomplete. Yeah, until the Holy Spirit appoints another one, you can't say you have to function with another one. Although I would say what, what he just implied, it's healthier, stronger, church is more secure with more than one. And you're asking God to provide more than one, and most pastors understand that's what 
I would like. Yeah, and I think there has to be a balance between, again, not laying hands too quickly on someone versus never doing it at all. And I think, Looking for Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you really have to balance yeah. it. And you can strengthen your church with men who aren't quite at the level of maturity. They may be young, they may be in development, but they can provide supportive leadership to provide some of the strengths that plurality can provide. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, the question is about a, a formalized deacon board um, and the place of that in a church. Yeah, actually, um, you know, in terms of the diaconate, uh, I, 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 this was the church leadership class that uh, I had taught, and uh, it's so important, I think, to recognize that there is a church office of the of deacon, and ultimately, uh, if you look in Scripture, you see that deacons are listed after elders, and there's just a number of situations where, uh, you know, I think that sometimes there can be this view that the, the board of deacons is over everything, and that's, that's not the case, and that's not the, the situation in Scripture every time you see the elders and deacons mentioned. Um, and, and ultimately, when you're looking through the Scriptures at these two offices, uh, I think that it's helpful, certainly, to have deacons at your church. And uh, if you look at Acts 5, uh, the word deacon, uh, Acts 6, the word deacon is not mentioned, but it's this, uh, what, what I would call a proto-deacon concept. The, the, the people that are there, there's a dispute that arose between the uh, Hellenistic and, and, and Jewish uh, Jews um, and, uh, you know, the, um, in, in that early church. And in order to resolve that tension, <clears throat> these proto-deacons were, were nominated, and they were there. Uh, Nine Marks is a really good article about deacons as shock absorbers in the church. They're there to help um, uh, resolve conflict. They're there to help be agents of reconciliation. They're there to smooth things over, to uh, absorb the shock. And the other purpose is you see uh, the, the elders and the apostles were talking uh, in Act 6 about how deacons would be there to free up the elders for the, uh, for the word and prayer. And I think that's another important function is that this, these deacons are there and they would be eager to try to free up the elders for the work of the ministry, and specifically in terms of word and prayer. And to the extent that these deacons can take care of any of these more practical items, I think it would be a great blessing and benefit to the church. I think it's important to acknowledge that there's a lot of latitude in the structure and leadership of that office. Uh, even in, among elders, how elders function in relationship to each other. So I think it would be in part defined by your understanding of what you want those deacons to do. Uh, the practical wisdom, as I alluded to with Josh, of getting together monthly is just a judgment call. Um, I want my deacons to understand they have an office, they have a responsibility. It's to the Lord, it's to His church. And bringing them together is an opportunity to cultivate ownership. Uh, But it's not something that's required. It's something more in tune with how you think it will best accomplish the calling of that person to that realm of service. Because deacons are ministry leaders. They're, They're not just servers. Every Christian's a servant. But deacons are ministry leaders over God's people to help them optimize the impact of their ministry. They're ministers of need and mercy historically. And so how you structure them coming together as an official group, I think is in part defined by how you want to lead them. I think that's a good idea. 
uh, especially if you're in a smaller context where you can get them together. I think that's a great leadership development potential place. It gives them opportunity to grow and learn together. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, you want to make sure the elder meeting agenda is elder work and the deacon um, meeting agenda is deacon work. And to the extent that starts crossing over, look out. And if you want more on that, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, Yes, in the back. Last question, by the way. Better be good. No pressure. Yeah. Okay, great question. So if you're planting a church and, or not, you have a single elder, what, what are the thoughts, what do you think of having men who are not in that church serve and give oversight yeah. to that church? We're called to shepherd the flock of God among us, right? And ultimately, you, you can't do that from afar. And so that, that's the challenge that I would have with that concept. Um, I really, um, th- that's really... I know that uh, in past Shepherds Conferences, we've talked about some of the uh, issues relating to multi-site. And, uh, you know, I think that ultimately that verse about shepherding the flock of God among you uh, is, is so important. I would probably call them something else. I mean, I think it would be important for the church to know that there was accountability and kind of uh, maturity in that, at that level. But I wouldn't call them an elder, uh, maybe an advisory team of elders or pastors to the leadership of the church, but I would reserve elders for the flock right there. Yeah, and remember, the elder board is not a board of directors. It's a, it's a group of shepherds who are caring for that flock, giving oversight to that flock, and I think that is what drives um, uh, the answer that they gave. Let me say a couple things to you. First of all, I've neglected to say this at the beginning. Welcome to Grace Church. We love having you here. I hope you're having a great time um, and enjoying the conference. If there's any way we, we can serve you, please let us know. We'll be around afterwards if you have specific questions. And the second thing I wanted to remind you is tomorrow we're going to deal with the issues and the tensions that come from lay elders and pastoral elders serving together. Okay? Let me close our time in prayer. And if I could just make one comment as an encouragement to you. <clears throat> you cannot invest too much time in cultivating harmony, camaraderie, and partnership in your leadership team. Amen. If there's any single failure you might be inclined to make because of the activity, the demand, and all of the stuff that goes with being a pastor, let me encourage you from elders to leaders in the church, don't neglect cultivating your leadership team, investing in them, getting to know them, walking with them, The health of a church is in its leadership, and the harmony of a church is in its leadership. And so value that, cultivate that, and invest in that, and you will not be sorry, and your people will be benefited and blessed. I think that's what I taste at Grace Church, the camaraderie of the brotherhood, just the joy of being together. If we didn't have any ministry to do, I would still want to be in relationship with these men. And that's a gift. And that's a gift you can give one another in the leadership of your own church proactively. Amen. That would be my... Thanks. That was great. Let me close the prayer. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for the churches represented here. Lord, we understand and recognize on bended knee that the church is yours. 
Lord, help each of us to go from here recommitted to establishing leadership that's in total accordance with your desire that we do church the way you want us to do church, to your praise and glory and to the advancement of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. amen.